0: Catalan, we have two words to define the characteristics: the el seïgne i la raúxa, and that means, in on one side, to be very rational, but in the other side, to be very crazy and very creative.
1: Are we giving a title to a madman or a genius? Only the time will tell. And now we can actually see that he was a genius. Like, he wasn't a madman, a little bit maybe, but time did tell.
2: Hello and welcome to episode one of our special summer series on The Urbanist. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Over the next four weeks, we'll be taking inspiration from the biggest names in architecture, city planning and design to uncover a legacy that goes well beyond their life's work. Today, we gain insight from one of the world's masters, the Catalan architect, Anthony Gaudi. So join us over the next 30 minutes as we explore how unfinished projects can outlive their creators and how modernism is never really modern. That's coming up right here on The Urbanist with me, Andrew Tuck. We head to sunny Barcelona for this episode... To take a look at the distinctive Catalan blend of innovation and nature within the built environment, as well as the importance of passing on knowledge. First, though, we need some background on our muse for this first episode with today's guide, Sofia Abramchuk.
1: One of the things when you come to Barcelona is, you notice know, Gaudi, you see Gaudi's architecture, you see his buildings and you fall in love. So for me, that was a love affair that has been lasting for the last seven, eight years. I started working as a creative director in the Gaudi Knowledge, which is an organization dedicated to sharing Gaudi's knowledge and applying it to the modern day worlds. And I've also designed a Gaudi methodology, which helps people to design like Gaudi.
2: So let's start from the very beginning to find out how a boy from the Catalan countryside became one of the world's most famous architects.
1: Gaudi was born in 1852 and there are two main episodes from Gaudi's childhood which shaped him as an architect in the future. The first one was that he was son, grandson and great-grandson of boiler makers and a lot of craftsmanship were in their family. So that's where he got his three-dimensional perception of space which allowed him to see that a flat piece of metal can be turned into curved one. So that really shaped him as an architect and allowed him to use these organic forms in his architecture. And another point that was really important in his childhood was that he was a sick child and he spent a lot of his time outdoors in his vacation house. And he used that time to observe nature, get his inspiration from nature and implement it into his work. When Gaudí was 16 years old, in 1868, he moved to Barcelona from his hometown and he was going to finish his high school here and he only had two subjects to finish, so he had a lot of free time. And during that time he used it to walk around and to see how the city was growing and uh, this was the perfect time for any architect coming to Barcelona.
2: The reason that this was such an exciting time to be an architect in Barcelona was actually down to another visionary, Ildefons Cerda, whose plan to redesign the city gave Gaudi a blank quilt to stitch his signature onto.
0: Cerda is the engineer that did the master plan for the grid of Barcelona and also he wrote the general theory of urbanisation in 1867. So that means that in Barcelona was coined the word urbanisation. The word urbanist was invented here.
2: That's Vicente Guayat, former chief architect of Barcelona and the director of the Vaidaura Labs, a research centre helping to connect digital urban design with nature and ecology.
0: Cerdà also had an idea to have a city where instead to make a urban grid with a central park, that the nature should be in every block. Uh, somehow he was dissolving the grid everywhere in the city. Gaudi was a very interesting character because he started to work when the grid was already happening. At the beginning, he was more like a modernist architect, something like kind of Art Nouveau. But then he had an incredible experience because at some point of his career, he went to the nature to do a kind of condominium. That condominium today is Parkwell because he only built two houses. But his experience on living in the nature and having a dialogue with the nature, doing structures that look like nature, transformed the way he did architecture. After that, he came back to the city and he did the Casa Ballo, and he did La Pedrera, and then uh, La Sagrada Familia had several versions. The last one was less organic, and somehow, but it was more rational, because he knew he would die before finishing it. And although the main space, it has a kind of arborean structure, somehow the geometry he's is using is very rational.
2: It's clear that a connection with nature and a drive for innovation are the two defining characteristics which Gaudi passed on to his colleagues and contemporaries. But before we look at some modern examples of those focuses, let's take a look at Gaudi's most famous building and the strange story of the project that continues even today, long after his death. Hester Underhill has more on the Sagrada Familia.
3: As anyone who's seen the Sagrada Familia knows, it's quite unlike any other building, and therefore almost impossible to describe. A riotous swirl of contorted Gothic revival and elaborate Art Nouveau flourishes, the basilica consists of a series of tapering spires that spiral above a vast five-aisled nave, an iconic example of Catalan modernism at its most eccentric. Architect Antoni Gaudi's boundary-pushing, idiosyncratic design features three ornately detailed facades, each alive with allegorical carvings, depicting a different phase in Jesus' life. But what's perhaps most remarkable about the Sagrada Familia is that even after 140 years of construction, it's still unfinished. Work is slated to be done by 2026, the centenary of Gaudi's death, and when completed it will have taken seven times longer to build than the Great Pyramid at Giza. Even while designing the building, Gaudi was well aware that it wouldn't be completed during his lifetime. This meant that when he was killed in a tram accident at the age of 73, detailed drawings, models and plans were already prepared for the completion of the church, roughly only a quarter of which was finished. For years, he had worried that the project would stop after his death, so he decided to start on the church's external features before the central nave was built, as he feared that once people could actually enter to worship, enthusiasm for an elaborate exterior would soon run out. Following Gaudi's death in 1926, Domanec Sogranias y Gras, one of Gaudi's most faithful disciples, assumed the main role of architect. Despite some stalling during the Spanish Civil War and the pandemic, the Sagrada Familia has been under construction ever since. But even with today's advanced technology, skilled architects and engineers are finding it challenging to decipher and bring to life the complex geometric shapes that compose what is going to be the tallest church in the world at a whopping height of 173 metres. Today, it's New Zealander Mark Burry, who's heading up the project as the Sagrada Familia's lead architect. He's been working on the construction since 1979, and was first employed as an architectural researcher, restoring Gaudi's original models that were damaged when the workshop was set on fire during the Civil War. Over the past 40 years, Burry has been steering the project through some impressive technological advances. For example, the computer-aided design program used for most architectural projects were not suited to the complexity of the Sagrada Familia. So Burry turned to aeronautical engineering technology and adapted the software that's now used. Thanks to these advances, construction is now able to proceed at a much faster pace. But Gaudi, who was buried in the crypt, never saw the project as one that should be rushed. My client, Gaudi reportedly said, referring to God, is not in a hurry.
2: The Sagrada Familia exemplifies another aspect of Gaudi's legacy. That's the importance of passing on knowledge, as Sofia explains.
1: One of the reasons, I believe, that allowed Gaudi to create what he created was the fact that he really cared a lot about his workers, about his co-workers and his apprentices, because he really believed in finding the best workers and finding the best in his workers and transmitting them the visions that he had allowing them to create the art and not really being the controlling kind of boss but actually somebody who trusted in his workers like it's a fun fact but in 1904 he was building 15 buildings in the same time in different parts of spain without internet without wi-fi without slack like it's unbelievable, because it's not like painting a painting. It's building the actual buildings that had really different technologies that he was innovating in each of the buildings. So the importance of his apprentices and his teams allowed him to transmit his vision. And this happened to with Agora Familia. A lot of his workers actually saved some of his models and plans, and that will allow us to have some of the documentation to continue building his building. So... The importance of team in his work and how he was an incredible leader I think was one of the keys in his success as an architect and also as a human.
2: That encouragement of collective knowledge is something that still lives on for architects in Barcelona today. Here's Vicente Guayat again.
0: Many times I say that I, I was lucky because I studied in a very bad school of architecture. And that's why I was traveling a lot and I wanted always to create a place where we could create freedom so what we do here is we give tools we give few rules and we give a lot of freedom to our students and then with that and creating a community, you can do anything that you want. And really the people living here, we have now 20 students from 12 countries and there is a very deep engagement from them. We are creating some new kind of supermen. we students of architecture that know how to design, but also how to harvest the timber from the forest, how to produce food, how to make energy, how to do self-sufficient buildings and so on. So we want them to come back to their countries and to make their own Evolution. and if we can, we'll help them. We need people with another kind of education that can do radical ecological buildings. And this is what we are doing here. So we feel that we have a mission, that is is to teach people, but also to transform these ideas into reality. And this is something very Catalan.
1: Catalan modernism basically is one of the ways of calling the modernism that we know generally. Like in France it was called Art Nouveau and here it was Catalan modernism because it started by trying to bring back the glory of Catalan culture and architecture. The main elements of it were curved lines, a lot of use of details and decoration, a lot of inspiration from nature and natural motives, which is everything that was in Gaudi work. And how Catalan modernism relates to Gaudi is in a way that he started as a Catalan modernism but he evolved into his own style, which we can call naturalist architecture or nature-inspired architecture if you look at his stages of his work you can really see the inspiration in the beginning of the modernism and see how he experimented a lot of different styles started from arabic architecture in his first buildings going into gothic experimenting a lot with gothic and moving into his own naturally inspired architecture which was personally his own style. One of the biggest statements that he did do is say that nature is our best teacher and we should look into nature for any buildings and for creating anything that we create.
2: This legacy of having a strong connection to nature is evident in much of the work that Vicente is doing. He is also one of the two architects behind a new social housing project currently underway in Barcelona that's using sustainable timber as its primary material. We spoke to one of the coordinators behind the project, herself a Vaidura Labs graduate, to find out more.
4: My name is Irene Rodriguez. I'm a Spanish architect. I graduated in the School of Madrid and then I came to Barcelona to be part of a master's from IAC called Master in Advanced Ecological Buildings and Biocities. This project is part of an emblematic initiative from the municipality of Barcelona in which they released a competition where one of the main characteristics of the winning proposal that would give it more points would be carbon emissions. So one of the many interesting things that I think this project has is one of the main goals is to reduce as much as we can the carbon emissions and to take a lot of care of the kind of materials we use in all the scales and levels of the project, apart from the fact that it's social housing. It's very interesting because, as I said, it's promoted by the municipality and public money. So I think by this kind of actions, Barcelona and Catalonia is trying to make a statement on how they think the future of architecture and urbanism should be. Building the main structure is composed by CLT panels. CLT is a structural material composed by wood lamellas pressed together by a special kind of glue and in different directions, so it makes it very strong and also really easy to prefabricate, which reduces a lot the time of construction. We have to work more, let's say, from the projectual point of view. But then the construction process is very fast. And also we are using uh, renewable material as wood. And it's a very light structure. So it reduces also the amount of foundations that you have to build. So it's a very advantageous material in this sense. Of course, it has other complications like acoustics and water and all these kind of things and fire, of course. But it's a very interesting way to approach a project, for sure. Barcelona's relationship with nature is very particular and unique. Well, first of all, its location, right? It has sea, the mountains very near. We have this big natural area called Colcerola. So I think that Barcelona has historically been very connected with nature, always. Also, I think that Catalans are very respectful with their own tradition and culture, especially you can see that in architecture in Catalonia, they really respect their local artisans and their local materials and of course, I think other parts in Spain have different things and they have different advantages, but I think it's a, very, it's a very nice approach to use all these traditional materials and give them like a second life and experiment with them. And I think that traditionally also because of all the political situation, probably, and well, the specific situation of Catalonia, they are very respectful with their own culture and they try to really preserve it and take care of it so this leads to very very nice results. I do believe that there is like a non-spoken thing between Catalan architects where this is something that is appreciated and taken care of. We have had so many meetings with the municipality with the clients and everyone seems very willing just to at least to listen you know of course then they are very aware of the complications, the money But they are always very proactive in proposing ways to make it work for all the parties to agree and to be, let's say, satisfied. So I don't know. In general, it has been a really pleasant process in every way because every part of the team, municipality, the constructor, everyone is always trying to push forward this project. We never feel that there is a big fight in anything, it's always a dialogue. And I think really in the municipality in Catalonia, they have a lot of dialogue. I think this is very important and it's very interesting. And I don't know why it doesn't happen so much in other parts of the country, but for sure, this is my experience here. There is a lot of productive dialogue, not just debate, you know. So it's a very interesting process and it's a very interesting way to see a municipality that works
2: like this it appears that the willingness to take risks and innovate permeates the whole chain in Barcelona, from architect to client, materials to municipality. And as you might have guessed by now, Gaudí was no stranger to trying things a little differently either.
1: One of the ways that you can really identify Gaudí's architecture is when you look at the other buildings and you see Gaudí's building, you usually see a lot of tourists around them. That's the first way of you knowing that this is a Gaudí building. Another one is that it's completely different. Like, it's entirely different. Like, everything is so different. Maybe his first buildings are a little bit more integrated, but they're usually so colorful. They have a lot of symbolism. You can truly see natural inspiration in them. Gaudi, one of the phrases that he said was that originality is going back to the origins. He never innovated for the sake of innovation. This wasn't his philosophy. And one of the principles was that everything that he did had to be functional, it had to make sense, it had to have a logic behind it, and it had to be studied. So he would look at all of the technologies available for his challenge. And only if he didn't find a technology that didn't serve his purpose, he would invent it. So, for example, this happened to the arches. He studied the Gothic arch, he studied the Roman arch, he saw that they were not as efficient and as useful for building the buildings that he wanted to build, so he invented the catenary Arch. And the reason why we are still continuing to build Sagrada Familia was because he also innovated in the way that he built Sagrada Familia. He knew that he wasn't going to finish his vision because his vision was to build the perfect church. And he knew he wouldn't finish it. So what he did instead of building it floor by floor, he did it vertically. He built one of the facades first, so that people could see how beautiful and big and incredible the church would be, they would fall in love with it, and they would want to continue building it afterwards. So I think it was one of the examples of crowdfunding in the area because it was completely built on the nations, and until now they are charging a ticket to continue building, but before it was all the nations.
0: In the Catalan we have two words to define the characteristics, the el seigne y la rauxa. And that means uh, in one side to be very rational, but in the other side to be very crazy and very creative. So that's part of the character. But one of the incredible thing, and that's why Cerda or Gaudí and other people were here, is that crazy people do real things. And that's important. It's not that crazy people Talks about the future and makes some strange things, but they never do make anything. But here, because also Barcelona was not the capital of anything, at least in the last 300 years. That means that it's like New York, it's a place where the civil society uh, wants to represent their wealth through projects, having an opera house, having El Palau de la Musica, so having La Pedrera, that means that the, the bourgeois were investing in very creative people to represent their wealth. And then from that point of view, that's part of the character. Is no? in one hand being very rational, but at the same time very creative. And I would say that the designs of Gaudí, sometimes we can imagine that they were like 100 years earlier, because he was doing organic architecture, as maybe Your Wright and other people were doing, where he integrating only one structural element, everything that you need to make a building, while the modern architecture, the Corbusier's son, was separating the different systems in order to make the overall solution for the building.
2: He was certainly a visionary who was decades ahead of his time, but Gaudi was not always showered with adoration. Although he embodied everything that defines Catalan architecture today, he was sadly relatively uncelebrated in his homeland during his lifetime.
1: One of the really interesting things was that Gaudi wasn't famous. He became famous during the last 30-40 years, before his contemporaries didn't really understand his architecture. In the 80s, there was a Japanese company making whiskies. That created a commercial involving Gaudi's buildings. They went to the different buildings and it went viral in Japan.
0: Spain, Barcelona, this is the builder, Antonio Gaudi.
1: A lot of people started loving Gaudi's buildings, they started visiting him, and that's where he actually started to have a boom about him. Sagrada Familia is the most visited building in Spain. He has seven buildings considered World Heritage Sites by UNESCO. He's the only architect in the world who has this title. So here we can actually see how this man was such a visionary that he was able to transmit to us the importance of his work and how to take the whole world to start admiring his work, coming here, generating so much tourism for us. And all of this through the power of creativity, through the power of inspiration of nature, and just observation and creativity.
2: Despite the impact Gaudi had on Barcelona, his death had none of the fanfare that now accompanies his most famous works.
1: When he died, which was he was hit by a train on June seventh, in 1926, he was wearing a really shabby jacket. He had uh, only a handful of nuts, rosary beads, and a key that nobody knows where this key leads, like it's a secret key. So he didn't have any ID. So he was taken to a poorest hospital. Nobody helped him. Nobody recognized him during that time. So that's probably the reason why he actually died. When he was actually recognized, there was a humongous funeral because he was building one of the greatest churches in Barcelona. A lot of people loved him, but other buildings were not that loved. So the Sagrada Familia was continued to build, but nothing much was happening around Gaudi.
2: It may have taken decades for the architecture world to take notice of this crazy Catalan visionary, but one thing we can rest assured of is that whatever that mystery key Resting in his pocket eventually led to, the key to the city of Barcelona belongs firmly to Antony Gaudi. And that's all for episode one of our special summer series here on The Urbanist. My thanks to Sofia Abramchuk, Hester Underhill... Vicente Guayat and Irene Rodriguez for joining us here today. This programme was produced by Carlotta Rebello and David Stevens and David also edited the show. Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Monocle.com to subscribe and ensure you hear the next instalment of our series. Next week, a deep dive into the legacy of Argentine urban planner Odilia Suárez.
4: For me, the important Legacy of Odilia Saúrez is, is this capacity to think in a, a strategic, so bigger scale of PAN, but also in the one-to-one scale of people living in the places, always doing this back and forth work. And also, was very important, her attitude to the existing patrimony, built patrimony, but also environmental elements.
2: The full episode is out on Thursday at 20 hundred hours UK time. That's midday on the West Coast in the US. To play you out this week, here's another of Catalonia's greats, Rosalia with Catalina. Thank you for listening, city lovers. Que estaba fijado,
1: ya la memoria me trae cosas que.